welcome to the Free Will Science and Religion Podcast. I am Chandler Clebs and I am talking in a stupid voice right now. But today I am here with John Ortega, David Joseph, and Michael Walsh. Okay, that's enough of that stupid accent. I have no idea what accent that was. But anyway, <laughs> our topic for the, today is going to be about punishment and stuff like that. And so um, I'm going to turn it over to David Joseph, and he can um, explain um, more what he'd like to talk to talk to us about about this. Right. Okay. Um, Felicia's asking to be let back into the call. So if, um, oh yes, I to... yeah cool. I see. Yes, I'll try to add her to the call. Right, okay, because okay. because th this would be great. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe, okay. Perhaps perhaps she'll be able to back me up and, and kind of put my ideas across a little bit better. Yeah. So, maybe anyway, so. Uh, George, uh, a few podcasts ago, um, we were talking about punishment, and um, I brought up the example of um, how when a child is running into a, a busy street. And you kind of grab the child's arm and you stop the child from causing an accident or injuring themselves or others. And that initial grab, that might be considered you know, somewhat of a, of a punishment or you know, it might cause some discomfort. But it's going to save the child from, from further harm and causing further damage and, and everything else to other people. So uh, my question was, that uh, after you've done that, the idea of trying to deter people from from doing that again would would mean that you would have to kind of get that child to one side and kind of slap that child in front of other children, and that would be the deterrence. You'd be saying, "Look, this is what happens if you try to run out into a busy street," you know. So, the idea of grabbing their arm—that's like the necessary evil. But the idea of deterring other children from doing the same behaviour by slapping them. That is what I would say is is causing me problems, if, if that makes sense to you. Well, David, I'm, I've got to agree with you. In other words, like after, you know, you've, you've properly rep reprimanded the child, then I think through the attitude of, of compassion and, you know, understanding, you know, just really talk to the child and explain to them how it's just not, you know, in their interest or in, in the interest of the rest of the family for the child to kind of like be as careless as, as, as the child was. But I, I agree with you completely. You know, like, uh, punishment should really only be used as, as a, a deterrent or a teaching tool. And see, the problem with the free will belief is that what happens is like, it goes beyond that. You know, with, with free will belief, you punish someone because they did something wrong and they deserve it. So we're, we're basically trying to, like, minimize the necessary amount of punishment that we have. But right, uh, okay. does that mean that, in effect, the same exact thing is happening? It's just that the reason for why you're doing it changes. Meaning, instead of retribution, you're still, you're just, you're doing the same thing to the person, more or less. But you're just changing the reason why you're doing it from retribution to a teaching mechanism to deter future occurrences of that thing that you're trying to prevent. Well, actually, if we were to um, if we were to broaden the conversation from a child running into the <clears throat> road and talk about you know assault, murder, felonies. We, we see a change in that because rather than prison, like the U.S. prison system that just 
you know, just the recidivism rate is off the charts for so many different things. And instead, look, turn it into something more like therapy and actual rehabilitation, the recidivism rates drop. So in the case of the child, rather than, you know, smacking him, instead would be the conversation about this is why what you did was not a good thing and it's dangerous and this is what you can do better next time. Right. So that, that, you're not you're not actually doing the same thing for different reasons because the reasons are different. What you do is different. Yeah, that that was my point. That was the point I was actually trying to make. To be honest with you, I do think that um, as far as punishment goes, um, the free will belief makes a difference in what type of punishment it, it you do. Because t take for example the death penalty and even though i don't like the death penalty i don't like capital punishment there's a difference between crucifying someone for example because you believe that they deserve to suffer a painful long death um because you believe in free will you believe that they deserve um suffering as opposed to capital punishment pay painless euthanizing at, you know, as a prevention from this person from doing further harm to society, but you're not doing it to cause pain to that person because you understand that they don't deserve pain. That sounds good. Absolutely. And again, you know, that, you know, even like with criminals and children, another point is that like you're explaining to them, listen, um, we're not blaming you, you know, like, you know, explain to them what had to happen, what, what happened had to happen, you know, don't feel really bad about yourself because you couldn't have done whatever you did any other way, but, but we have to take measures to protect society, to protect yourself, you know, you and, and others in the future. So it's, you know, it's the perspective of, of explaining to the person that they're not in fact evil, they're not in fact bad, and, and like, especially with criminals, you know, if we want to reduce recidivism, that's really important because to the extent that like society and judges and, and police and the media, you know, newspapers are labeling people as horrible, you know, criminals, that's going to be how they see themselves. And that's going to make it so much harder for them to like see themselves any other way. And I shared on Facebook with Chandler, Trick, and maybe a couple others, I don't totally remember, uh, an article I came across where if you alienate and isolate people who are abusing illegal substances like drugs, then they keep coming back and they're more likely to be addicted. Whereas if you, rather than say, you know, you're a bad person, this is a bad thing, prison, et cetera, but instead set up something like therapy and help them get jobs and help them you know establish a sense of community and identity and instead feel better about themselves they're more likely to quit the drug that they were on and not go back right yeah i think it's more about addressing the root causes of, of their behaviors rather than the symptoms yeah exactly i mean if you just throw someone into, into a cell and you're trying to make their environment um you're trying to give them that, that amount of deterrence so they think, you know, I don't want to go to prison. 
that that often doesn't work because you, you're chucking someone into into an environment that's going to make them even worse in some cases. How do you expect people to get better if you, if you're putting them in a place that makes them worse? It's, um, it's very confusing. And so so George, because uh, um, a couple of weeks, I think it was last week or the week before, you mentioned that um, there has to be a certain level of deterrence. So jails, for example, would have to be worse than. Than, um, than the alternative to the outside world, to the criminal. Yeah, I, I yeah. say this because, because you know, as, as, as human beings, we're hedonic creatures and that we were hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain. So, you know, like, I think we still have to maintain our system of rules and laws because I think there's a lot of people, if we didn't have them, they'd say, well, you know, like, Fine, nobody has a free will, but I want this, and someone has it. I'm going to take it. You know, it's like there has to be, I think, a minimum kind of requirement for that. But, but again, like the free will belief just um, adds that additional component. Not, not just the the punishment required to recondition a person, to mold their behavior, you know, so it's better the next time, but to to punish them because they're evil. Uh, right, okay. Another another point um, in terms of like you know you know the um, the positive approach the approach of, of of training these these criminals training people in jails and prisons of giving them you know these resources so that when they come back into society they can integrate much better a lot of people for example like um, if you suggest like um, allowing um, convicts to to get educated to attend college or so some so many people say no that we're not going to allow that because they're evil you know how could you like allow a criminal you know to um to attend college for free when so many people on the outside can't and again that's that that perspective is completely founded on this mistaken belief in free will that they don't deserve it so like to the extent that, that we would actually fund that you know the society would benefit you know that you know the money we we saved for in the criminal justice system by them not going back and committing crimes would probably like create a lot more funds to have more people go to, go to school for free of course we could also cut our insane military national defense fund in half have plenty to do everything that we actually need to do with it and instead fund education so then maybe education itself could be free for everybody like so many other countries who have managed that. Felicia, I like... could, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't possibly agree any more, Felicia. I'm totally with you about that because it seems like that so countries spend so much money funding the military, which really could be used to you prevent war if the societies were just happier in general because that was being used to feed, clothe, educate people, do something more positive. You know, I'm totally with you there. Yeah. Not going to lie. Not really a fan of my country. Not a fan of our foreign policy. Not a fan of our economics. Not a Whoa, fan of... Whoa, you our hate America? How dare you? Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I haven't celebrated the 4th of July since, like, the 8th grade. And yeah, I haven't and... stood for the Pledge of Allegiance since the 7th. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know uh, what? <laughs> every time I uh, every time I hear a speech by Noam Chomsky on U.S. foreign policy, it does really, really, really make me hate America. Yeah. 
you know, I, Independence Day doesn't mean anything to me anymore because I know no one has a free will. No one's independent. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything anymore because I look at what we did with that and all people we hurt with that. And, um, you know, the Native American societies that were oppressed after that is just I don't see it as something to celebrate. Neither do I, Felicia. And, and But it gets even beyond that. Why do we call it an independent country when everything we have is made in China? <laughs> you know? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 just the very thought that uh, we're independent um, from other countries and that there's no causal connection between the U.S. and all these other countries was just that's, – that's a false belief right there. And so I view everyone of all countries everywhere as equal. Well, I, I honestly, I, I view the Middle East as more like toddlers than equals. But, yeah, essentially. If they're going to behave yeah. like adults, that would change. But while they're fighting over this is my land, no, this is my land, and they're using toddler uh, logic, then, I yeah. And yeah, and actually all of us, I mean, consider, consider our inaction on climate change. That is like, like so, so monumentally irresponsible. And, and the U.S. is leading that. I mean, my God. So yeah, we, we, we've got, a, our whole world has so much growing up to do. Um, guys, we, we've been exploring this, this issue of like punishment from the perspective of, of other people, criminals, children and all. How do we apply this understanding to ourselves? Because don't we a lot of times, you know, like because of this conditioning that we have a free will when we do things wrong, don't we tend to kind of like say, well, all right, we've done something wrong. We better punish ourselves. Ah, this is a very good topic to bring up, George, because here's how this is a very important understanding because like take, for example, when I came to the realization, wait. I grew up eating meat in my culture because that's the way people do things here. If I were to attribute free will and fundamental responsibility to myself, I'd, I would be thinking, oh no, I ate a turkey. I deserve to die. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That might be a that, little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> I know, but, but, if, but that's, Felicia, that's what it leads to, this whole eye for eye, tooth for tooth, this retribution like, oh, you killed this thing, so you deserve to die. You did this. Like, you know, that, that's just, that gets weird. Um, so it's tied in with this whole revenge thing. And so we, need, we can stop punishing ourselves, ourselves because we, punishing ourselves will not fix the problem. Instead, all we can do is try to heal the damage that we may have done to others in the past once we become aware of it. That's how I look at it. See, I actually um, – and I agree in part and disagree in part. And <clears throat> uh, the part I disagree more specifically is that while it would stand to reason, while it's logical that it would change – significantly how we handle our own uh, failures and shortcomings is that it doesn't it doesn't actually seem to though because we don't judge others on the same scale that we judge ourselves because we know personally the things that have affected us we know how we've grown up our culture our family our influences biology and we empathize essentially with ourselves and when we empathize with other people, it is harder 
to have big reactions to the bad things that they do because you recognize where they've been and why they've done that. And so instead, not believing in free will helps you to judge others on the same scale that we already judge ourselves. Exactly. I'm very glad you mentioned that, Felicia, because that's, isn't that it? We, the, we, we are more understanding of ourselves the way we are of other humans because we're more aware of the causes that compel us to do what we do. And so we, what we need to be doing is, treat, is treating others the way we treat ourselves. You know, the whole love your neighbor as yourself sort of thing in a way that kind of works under this understanding because you realize this person is also caused to do whatever they do, good or bad, by their past. And so just as, I, you know, I don't deserve to, to die for all the way, like, you know, I might step on a bug, but it doesn't mean I, des I deserve to die. Same is true of other people, you know. And so, yeah, I think you're totally right on there. We need to view others the way that we have been judging ourselves. And I think ditching the idea of free will really helps that. And that was part of the part of what helped me to ditch free will as well. Um, I actually, I used to be, hmm, I'll go to that's a different route. Um, I read once in college a book on the psychology of rapists. And I, I went into it, of course, angry. And expecting there to be absolutely no excuses. And I was still a Christian, so of course I supported the death penalty because that logically follows half the time. And uh, especially if you're going if you take into account the Old Testament. But instead, after reading it and seeing some of their lives and some of the people that they interviewed, took responsibility for their actions and also talked about what led them to that and the psychology, what they were thinking at the time. And instead I felt empathy for them. I felt sympathy. And I realized that they weren't bad human beings because of that action and that they were just hurt and broken just like everybody else. And as a result of their upbringing, often in abusive homes, helped create the stage for them to create, to do that horrific crime. Felicia, that's awesome because I mean, in a sense, what you're saying is overcoming the belief in free will enabled you to much better live up to the ideals of Christianity, of love thy neighbor and for, be forgiving in all. You know, so like, you know, well, that's go the ahead. New Testament anyways. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but <laughs> but but yeah, because like it, it, it makes it so much easier. I mean, like if we believe in free will, yes, it, it's right to forgive because it's the it's the moral thing to forgive when as, as, as we overcome this belief. We don't even have to forgive them because we don't accuse them in the first place. We recognize that there is there there is absolutely innocent as ever, everyone else. You know, we still have to deal with what they did, but like, you know, it just allows us even a, a higher level of compassion. And it, it makes it easier. It's not the cognitive dissonance anymore because it puts my, my empathy and my morality ethics on the same line as 
the logic. This is really good what you guys talk about here because there's a difference between, you know, forgiving because, oh, um, the church tells me I have to forgive. And I'm like, well, but what George is saying is this is even better than forgiveness because it's no longer something like, oh, I must forgive this person. No, instead you're realizing, wait, it's not really like you have to forgive anything because – it's not – they're not to blame to begin with. It's even better than what Christianity has to offer if it has anything to offer at all. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> what about uh, – there was a study that came out, I think some university, uh, where they, had, they did like – they had two groups of people, and uh, they showed that – well, they one of them was told that they have free will, and the other group was told that they didn't have free will. And the group that was told that they didn't have free will cheated on the test that was given to them later at a slightly – at a higher rate. Uh, and this was used by a lot of psychologists to try to make a case that we need to believe in free will even if it's an illusion because it makes people behave better. Has anybody heard that study or that argument? Mike, not only have I heard of it, I, I included that study in my, my last book on free will. Um, and basically what I discovered it was that, um, that it was biased. In other words, like they were actually priming you know, people who believe in free will to, to disbelieve it for the experiment because it's very hard to find people, you know, subjects that actually don't really believe in free will. So, that, so what they did is like with the unfree will belief group, they said, listen, you're not a, nothing but a pack of neurons. You know, you're just like you know, your chemistry. There's no real you. But with the free will believers, they said, well, you know, because of your free will, you, you can choose to be moral. You know, so, so one, one part of the, the flaw in their methodology was they were priming the free will believers to act morally while they were priming the unfree will believers to just think of themselves as a pack of neurons and just this biochemistry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, that's the problem with these studies is that they're trying to equate free with good, and they're not the same thing at all because, because you have to think why would a free will, even if that was possible, which we know it's not, why would that mean that you would behave more morally? In fact, it could just work the other way. It might, a free will might allow someone to be more evil than anything we see. How do you know? On my view, though, you see, I, I do think that it takes a certain level of uh, philosophical knowledge to really, I think, handle the idea of non-free will. And I'm not 100% sure that a young person, like a kid, like a, an adolescent, could really handle the idea of non-free will they might immediately jump to saying oh well then i can do anything i want and there's no responsibility i can't be blamed and that's a that's a lay person's reaction to the idea of non-free will we've all probably encountered that at some point but would a 13 14 16 year old really have the knowledge the the the, the wide level of philosophical knowledge and and social knowledge that is required for us, for example, to accept non-free will and still be good moral people? Would it, would it, does a child 
have that capability or teenager or is this is is the idea of non-free will something best uh kept for adulthood like you know you educate someone and then like you lay it on them that there's no free will or do we or should we should young kids from the earliest age be raised with the idea of non-free will i think well, you know that oh. there there's a couple couple of different uh things Thing, things to this that I think we're forgetting. One, that it's more difficult for children to grasp abstract ideas such as free will or uh, determinism. And that, I think, would, would play a bigger factor into whether or not they grasp that concept than jumping to any conclusions such as, well, I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences. Second is whether or not we are actually presenting the whole concept. Because if you just say, you know, there's no such thing as free will, anybody might jump to the, well, then there's no consequences. But that does not logically follow. Because there are so consequences for your reactions because we live in a society and we are societal creatures. So I think that in order, when we present that idea, we have to tack on, we have to tack on more than just there is no free will. And well, that's my, my, my point is that uh, is, a, is a young kid a, a capable of uh, that, that additional knowledge that's required? Or is it something that's a little too sophisticated for someone below a certain age? I don't think that there's any, there's not, I don't think there's going to be a standard age because some kids um, <clears throat> grasp abstract, math, uh, abstract thoughts better than others. At any age, it you know, there's not going to be a standard there. I think that if we honestly believe this is the truth, then that's what we should be teaching our kids rather than teaching them something that we know is a lie in the hopes that it'll make their behavior better. And because we've already, we've already talked about how believing in free will has some negative side effects, such as... Uh, blaming others, capital punishment, uh, etc. So I definitely would not want to raise kids believing that, believing something I already believe is harmful. You know, there's, there's <laughs> another part of this that may help us find an answer. Um, back up in, in 2011, new scientists came out with the first cover story um, refuting free will, their magazine. And in it, they cite a study that was conducted in 1998 where they asked 40,000 people from 35 countries uh, whether they believed in free will or not, and about 30% of them, of them didn't. So now, I don't know where these people are. I don't think they're in the, here in the United States. But it may, may be that certain societies that we really haven't studied well have already adapted this, this non-free will perspective, and hopefully it's worked for them. Hopefully it's worked for them across the board. Probably, well, I think, the countries who have already adopted rehabilitation versus punishment into their legal system, I would wonder if there's a correlation between that and ideas of free will. Um, I wanted to respond to what Michael Walsh was saying because I think that, um, that children are capable of understanding why we don't have a free will. And this might be controversial here, um, as usual, but kids understand right from the beginning that things have a cause. They're always asking, well, why is this this way? Why, 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 why? I call that, you know, the two-year-old syndrome, the why syndrome, you know? <laughs> 
And so I think that what we what needs to be done is that as long as we let kids with, have their natural understanding, well, yes, everything has a cause. I mean, it's just so obvious. And then from that, well, okay, well, this person did this because they wanted that and they had to do this, do that, you know, and the, and the reason why you don't run out in the, in the street is because you'll get squashed. Look what happened to that squirrel over there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's sad, isn't it? Um, but, that, but yeah, but it gets the message across that there's a reason. Like that, that's the thing is like, and, and even though I'll probably never have kids, um, it's probably, probably for the benefit of the world that I don't, but, <laughs> but I just want to say like, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily, um, just start out teaching them all the philosophy about why there's no free will, but I want them to understand the reason or cause for everything that I do and what other people do. And if you have that understanding then that that will guide you through just about everything in life. That's important. Why does the world work the way it does? Understanding the psychology of people. So that would be the route I would go if I did have kids. And then I want to add on to that because I think that's a really great way to handle the um, the the causal side of not having free will. And then there's also, of course, the biological side. And one of the really, really simple things that helped me actually when I was older, but it would definitely work for kids, is that when I was still a Christian and believed that homosexuality was a choice and a sin, in an unrelated act, I was tired of my favorite color being blue. It had been blue for <laughs> a decade, okay? I was tired of saying blue. Everybody else was saying blue. Blue was apparently a very popular color. So I tried <laughs> to change my favorite color to purple. Because it was time for a change. Well, it didn't exactly work like I had planned. Because no matter how hard I tried to just decide my favorite color was purple, it was still blue. I still bought <laughs> blue clothes. I still favored things that were blue versus things that were purple, even if I thought my favorite color is purple. Why is my favorite color blue? I don't know why. It just <laughs> is. <laughs> Once I realized that I don't choose my favorite color, I started thinking, well, do I choose the food that I like? No, I just like certain foods. What about, you know, I lived in a, an all-girls dorm, it was a Christian college, uh, with a suite of to a total of eight girls, which is a disaster in the making. And, of course, the topic of boys comes up. And I'm like, well, okay, well, why is it that she likes one certain body type, but I don't like that at all? I don't choose which men or women that I find attractive. I just do. And even kids, even kids grasp the idea that they have a favorite color and they don't know why. Yes. And you know what, Felicia? I'm so glad that you brought that up because the, as far as favorite color, yeah. About, but about like take even the simple thing of a favorite color. When I was a kid, um, you know, for the longest time, actually, up until my 20s, actually, red was like my favorite color. And then I figured out, well, why is my favorite color red? And I figured out the ketchup. It's got to be the ketchup because I love the taste of ketchup. 
I didn't choose to like the taste of ketchup either, but I like ketchup. Ketchup is red. The inside of watermelon is red. I like the taste of watermelon. And I started noticing, hey, even my blood is red. Like, I started seeing the causal influences that led to me liking the color red. All right, guys, this has been another great episode. Chandler, we're a bit, you know, over, so um, I guess we, you might want to wrap it up. You want to, might, um, want to kind of let um, an overview before we wrap up? Uh, okay, yeah, well, um, yeah, this has been a very interesting discussion that we've been having about, about punishment and, and understanding um, fully what it means, not having a free will, and, you know, I mean, <laughs> I just go on forever, but anyway, well, I'm, we'll, we'll be covering everything we've discussed and, and more in future episodes of Free Will, Science, and Religion. Thank you and goodbye.